welcome, welcome. You are listening to Hunting Pixels, the one and only official video game podcast of Culture Pop. We have quite a show for you today. Our topic of the show is going to be a nice, intriguing conversation. Uh, Austin and I have watched Mortal Kombat and have some thoughts about that. We'll also talk a bit about what we've been playing as well as our regularly scheduled picks of the week. I am your host, the one and only Bebop Man, Josh McMullen, and I am joined as always by my two co-hosts, Dylan Final Boss Martin and Austin Attack Pattern Stevens. How is it going, fellas? It's going all right. I'm here. We're here. That, We're that, all that here. felt like it took 20 minutes for you to read that. Uh, it, that's, that's where I'm at. It felt like it took me, like I felt like it took 20 minutes also. But you know what? I'm proud of you. You didn't fumble through a single word of that I know. paragraph. I think it's because I'm not drinking this week. Did you call Austin attack pattern Stevens because he's predictable? <laughs> uh, no. no. Okay. I couldn't think of any. I almost called him um, mini boss. But then I was like, that's two, two, two bosses on the same thing? Nah, I can't. I would I can't. have loved for you to have called me final boss and him mini boss. Yeah. That would have been the best start to a fucking episode. <laughs> that would have been fine. Um, ma'am. Well, guys, uh-huh. you know what I did this week? What did you do? I watched some things. Oh, yeah, I worked also. Uh, <clears throat> not as much as you probably, but... Uh, 48 hours. Okay, so yeah, about the same. I oh, yeah. 50, so... Uh, the unfortunate part for me is that I don't get paid for the, the overtime because it's split on a Sunday, so I can just work 48 hours and it doesn't fucking count. <laughs> Dude, that's retail for you. One yeah. of the things that fucking killed me when I was... um. When I was working at Puma, was I wasn't in charge of the making the schedule, so I have a pretty good sense. Like I felt like when I was the assistant store manager at GameStop, and I was making the schedules, I made sure that people would have significant, like not not significant, but like they would have enough time off in between their days working to where they didn't feel like they wanted to fucking blow their brains out, <laughs> but. When I was working at Puma, they did not have that same courtesy. So I would get like, say, a a Tuesday and a Thursday off. And then I would work fucking like 10 days straight before I got another day off. <sighs> I love it. It's Retail, awful. man. The good thing is, is that I actually like my job. So that's good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But at least there's that. <laughs> at least there is that. Well, uh... So one of the things that I did is I watched Made for Love, or I, I should say I finished Made for Love. I think I had brought it up like two episodes ago. Mm-hmm. So this is the HBO Max original series that just came out in April, uh, and it's based on a book from 2017. It more or less follows a young woman who escapes a 10-year marriage to a tech billionaire, and then she kind of finds out that he put a chip into her brain and that that chip literally tracks her location is this like the biography leading up to bill and melinda gates getting a divorce (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) okay gotcha 
but yeah, it, so it'll track her location. It, he literally can watch her every mood. And it even, like, gives him her emotional data. <clears throat> and really, the the core of the story revolves around three main the three main characters of uh, Hazel, um, fucking, what's his, his name? Herbert and uh, Byron. And uh, Hazel is played by Kristen Milioti. Uh, and she is awesome. Like, if you don't know who she is, she is the mom from How I Met Your Mother. She was also in the Andy Samberg movie, um, Palm Springs, that came out last year. I don't like Andy Samberg's face, you know, in particular. And therefore, I can't watch anything that he's been in. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Hmm. Like, if I could take a baseball bat and just fucking unreasonably beat the shit out of him, I would. But <laughs> I have no issues with who he is as a person. But why? I, just do not li- I don't like his face. Hmm. I don't know. There's just some, you know, the whole punchable face thing. His is bat over and over again face. Hmm. I don't like it. Huh. Fair enough. Um, I feel like he was a bully at some point, so he deserves it. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. At least I'm justified. Uh, (laughs) I I don't know. Uh, Anyway, she she's awesome. She's got really fantastic comedic timing. She's really got some range. Um, I I thought she's great. Uh, Byron Gogol is the main antagonist and is her uh, husband or ex-husband. That's a dumb name. Byron Gogol. Shit. (laughs) Yeah, that's a pretty bad name. Uh, like that sounds like knockoff Google. Uh, I think that was <laughs> kind of the point. Okay, got you. But uh, he's played by uh, Billy Magnuson. Uh, he is an actor who I have only seen in one other thing, and it was the uh, the movie with um, Jason Bateman, uh, Game Night, where they they kind of have a game night that turns into like a real weird, like almost murder mystery sort of thing. Uh, he's really good. I mean, like surprisingly good. And he kind of manages to bring equal parts of menace and goofiness to his performance, but also has like this boyish charm that makes me like, I'm like, I hate you, but I kind of don't want to hate you, but I hate you. (laughs) That's how I feel about you. I mean, eh, I do what I do. (laughs) Um, but yeah, he's, he's excellent. And then. The one who really steals the show for me is Ray Romano. Um, he plays Herbert, who is uh, Hazel's dad. And he just, I don't know what's going on with comedic actors having like really like strong, dramatic acting chops. But like Ray Romano fucking kills it in this show, dude. He is so fucking good. And he also still is able to deliver like deadpan comedic lines and just like uh, he's he's wonderful but the show is very uh, like from a filmmaking standpoint is very subdued there's nothing really flashy about it uh it's mostly just very solid there were a few things that like bugged me and i'm not sure if they were artistic choices or if it was like mistakes but like when you're inside the 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 quote-unquote hub which is basically this virtual reality like palace so to speak um the colors are very vivid and pop like a lot like they're really saturated and then when you get into the real world 
everything is very like uh like gr- I, not grayed, but like the saturation is definitely toned down like a lot. And there was one scene in particular that I noticed where it was kind of doing like a flashback sort of thing to a time that was in the uh, the hub after she had escaped and the colors were popping there and before that went into the flashback it was the same sort of like like a sepia toned sort of grayed out color scale and then when it switched back from the the flashback the colors were vibrant again and I was like was this a mistake like did someone just like edit this and and for kid to change things back because then it was like the next scene and it went away so uh, there were a, a few little things that I noticed that were eh, whatever but overall pretty solid but the thing that really makes this show stand out is its writing uh, and it has a lot to say and sometimes doesn't always hit the target like square in the middle but like it talks about tech and how invasive and pervasive tech has become you know with its like ability to track us and its use of our personal data or data yeah our our personal data and it really kind of nails the idea that like these tech giants never even blink at the consequences of their tech and what that could do to humanity like Byron is literally oblivious to the fact that like the chip that he coined as made for love uh could do anything other than help people if that makes sense like his his idea is oh you put this chip in somebody's head and like they'll be ever they'll be able to know each other's thoughts and then like you know relationships will be great but it's also comes down to like the next little theme that it tries to tackle which is control versus free freedom if you put this chip in someone's head like how do they have any freedom at all like and yeah. and like you know it's really it's really ha- nailed down with the the two different worlds that it has like every time you go into the hub everything is clean and sterile and manicured and then when you go out into the real world it is like dirty and d- dusty and uh, like I said, the, the difference in the colors and everything like that. And, and, but it's really about making the choices or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then like, it also really kind of touches on how women are viewed by men. Like all of the interactions between the men and the women in the show are with like the men kind of like, not necessarily talking down to the women, but like having, uh, I don't want to say apathy cause that's not right. But like, like for instance, there's a scene where, uh, like when Hazel first gets home, Ray Romano's character, Herbert ask her, he's like, um, he says something about, you know, my husband did, or my husband did this, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, Oh really? Well, what did, what did you do? I mean, like, I know you're kind of a handful and it's, it's stuff like that where like all of the, yeah. the male characters just kind of, they treat situations differently than, than they would if it were with other men or whatever. And then it, there's this really neat thing that it does. I think personally where like you see, so Herbert's character 
is seen as the town pervert because he is dating a sex doll. Um, and that is a whole, whole other thing that it, yeah, I know, I know it's a, it's a whole other thing because it's actually a very sweet relationship. And the thing is, is he's dating a thing and treating it as like, like it is a, a woman. So he is treating it with affection and love and care. And Byron is the exact opposite with Hazel, where he is dating a woman and is treating her like an object. And it really shows the contrast As between those two. <laughs> I don't know about sorry. all that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, really the one thing that I think that the, the writing really nails down is, is kind of like love in the age of technology and how tech affects our modern day relationships. Because this is kind of like near future tech sort of thing. Like, you know, there's virtual reality and shit like that. But like, it really kind of hammers home how superficial dating has become with shit like Tinder. And like it, the, the very last episode kind of gets into this before, you know, it ends where like, what do you know about a person before you decide that you like them? sort of thing like do you do you know them or do you know their profile sort of thing and it really fucking hammers that home and i that last episode is great like i fucking love the end of of season one of the show i really hope it gets fucking renewed um because it it ends so so well uh but yeah i it's really good i really enjoyed it and i highly recommend it Hell yeah. Where is this on? What is this on? Uh, HBO Max. Oh, okay. That sounds really interesting. I might actually watch that. Yeah, it's very good. Um, Will not. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> Just being real. Uh, Austin, you've been watching Invincible. Everybody in the Discord is talking about it. Dude, I really enjoy this show. I So... I, I'm going in pretty blind because it seems like everybody else in the Discord has at least some knowledge of the comic series that it's based on, whereas I have none. Um, the only knowledge of this that I have that I don't even remember having was, I think it was referenced It was referenced in a King of the Hill episode. Uh, yeah, really? There, yeah, I actually saw it today on Twitter. There was, a, there was a screenshot of a King of the Hill episode and Bobby's laying on his bed reading an Invincible comic. And then one of the characters in the show literally looks like an older Bobby. So people were like freaking out about it. Everybody was like, this is a weird connection and we don't like it. Um, But no, so I'm I'm going into it fairly blind. I'm only on episode three. Uh, I guess season one just finished with eight episodes. Uh, Each episode is like an hour long. And Mm. so far, so far, because I know I have no other prior knowledge of any of these characters, it it seems like it's starting out as like a like a coming like a coming of age kind of tale. Like uh, the main character Mark, he's almost eighteen years old. Uh, his father is like I guess one of the most revered superheroes on the planet, um, or you know quote unquote most pow- more powerful. And uh, he he's he's just now lear- getting his powers. Uh, he's learning how to control them, like flight and and like uh, I think he has flight like and super strength and. Uh, like extended durability and shit like that. 
Um, so it's kind of, so far, it, it's him coming to terms with that and like learning how to control them while it also seems like his dad has a much sinister motive that hasn't been quite explained yet, but oh my fucking God, did not expect the show to be as goddamn gory as it is. Holy shit. <laughs> Dude, have you have, have you seen anything from the show at all, Josh? Mm-mm, not at all. Dude, this shit is like, I, this was like Mortal Kombat with superheroes. Like, it, it's <laughs> fucking, it, like, it's all, it's honestly kind of gross how gory this shit is. But, uh, like, I, I tried to get Madison to watch the first episode with me, and uh, she got to uh, the ending scene where it, it's probably the first true gory moment of the series, and she was like, nope, not watching that. <laughs> fucking watching that. That's disgusting. Um, but it... it I really like it. I think it's incredibly well animated. Um, another big draw that I have to it that I haven't really seen a whole lot of people talk about is um, in episode two, uh, there's like a interdimensional like alien army that's like in constantly invading and attacking Earth. Um, and it shows collateral. It shows a lot of collateral damage, but like it shows uh, the aliens coming through the portal and they're like shooting all these different kind of tanks and weapons and shit. And it's, it's literally just people exploding on the fucking street. <laughs> God, like guts. And like, you see chunks of guts and brains and eyeballs, like literally just going all over the fucking place. And I'm like, you know what? In a superhero society, that's probably what collateral damage would actually fucking look like. And so I, I, I think it has, I think in that sense, it kind of has almost like a, like a more sense of realism than I feel like a lot of other because because I mean when you watch superhero TV shows or comic books or movies like they're yeah collateral damage is an issue but it's not really ever heavily talked about or really ever brought up I mean obviously I, I guess Civil War is the exception to that because that whole point of Civil War was a response to collateral damage but you, you still don't see it on that kind of scale like you're not mm-hmm. seeing people getting crushed by like you didn't see people get crushed by buildings in Sarkovia and their bodies just like implode and blood go everywhere. Um, but you see it here. And I, I feel like in a superhero society, that's exactly what that shit would look like. And I appreciate that. It's gross, but I appreciate it. Um, but I'm, I'm super excited to keep watching. I think it's really fucking good. And I think everybody should check it out if you like superhero shit. Yeah. I, I'm gonna go out of my way eventually and find the comics and and read them probably after I finish season one. Very cool. Very cool. Um. Well, let's get to it. We both watch Mortal Kombat. <sighs> what did you think? Um. Sorry. Uh, I got distracted. <laughs> uh, Mortal Kombat. I don't think it's as bad as everyone on the internet is saying. However, I also don't think it's good. I think it's okay. I think it's a fun enough ride that I'm happy I experienced it once, but I don't think I'm ever going to go out of my way to rewatch it. Um, And, you know, thank God it was on HBO Max, because I'm not going to lie, I would have been kind of pissed if I paid money to watch that in the theater. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Okay. It's okay, man. Like, I, like I don't go to theaters very often. I only go to a theater if it's a movie that I'm just absolutely dying to fucking see, mm-hmm. um, or a Marvel movie because I'm so knee deep in that continuity anyway that I feel like I don't have a choice anymore. 
Um, Pretty sure it's legally binding now. If you've seen Iron Man, you have to see them all. Uh, I think so. I think that's somewhere. But um, it. I think the CGI was pretty fucking terrible. Uh, uh yeah. <laughs> Dude, there were there were parts of of the CGI like that I saw and I was like um that kind of looks okay. Like like when uh Kano or not not Kano, uh Liu Kang does his fire dragon attack. Yeah, like I thought it was fine. Yeah, but then you you look at like some of the the like the opening fight, right? Mm-hmm. And you see fucking scorpion throw the uh the spear into the guy's head and it looks like the blood is fucking made of plastic coming yeah. out of his head it's yeah. awful it's, it's very, so bad um i i i didn't think i guess as far as the main cast like i di- i didn't like the costume design at all um it kind really? of yeah no not really i mean i like scorpion and sub-zero and i'm gonna be honest that's about it um okay. i i thought melena was okay i think her costume was all right but she was also so like she she was done dirty that movie and underused so ridiculously bad that it pissed me off anyway so i was just like whatever um i think goro was also done incredibly fucking dirty dude he was done so dirty because if like if i'm remembering correctly goro is like canonically one of the strongest fighters i think so i mean i I'm not too uh, well versed in. I used to be. I'm not anymore. Yeah. I used to be super big into it. So if I'm remembering correctly, yeah, Goro is canonically one of the strongest fighters in the series. And to to just be killed off like that. Yeah. It's like, uh, and and there's the I, fact that the main character's fucking Arcano or whatever they fucking called it was the literal definition of plot armor. <laughs> it was straight the fuck up the actual definition of plot armor. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, I'm pissed. I'm fucking mad about that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's okay. I thought it was f- fine. It's like a five out of 10. Uh, I'd probably go six out of 10, but yeah, but yeah. that might be You're, more fair. But so it, I'm going to get into some of the things I didn't like very much real quick. I, I, I think that the writing is really bad. Or well, not not really bad, but it's very okay. And for me, that's not good enough. Like, no, not not for a Mortal Kombat movie. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is like I think that like people get away with this shit because they're like, oh, it's a video game adaptation. But like, like just for instance, there's no fucking tournament. No, there's no tournament. The entire thing about Mortal Kombat is that it's a tournament. Well, apparently that's the plan. The first movie is pre-tournament, second movie is tournament, and third movie is post-tournament. I mean, I guess. But I, I don't know, I man. Like, I, I can't believe that. Idea. Yeah, well, you shouldn't even, like, I mean, I think you should have probably the idea down, but, like, maybe, I don't, I don't know. Like, I just thought that was bad. I also really don't, like... I really didn't like the Sub-Zero Scorpion stuff. Like, it, I think the it, first fight with them was good. I liked that very yes. first opening Dude, scene. The opening sequence, the the first like 10 or 15 minutes of that movie, I think are really great. Yeah. But after that, I was Down just hill. like, I don't fucking care at all yeah. about this. And, and when Scorpion came back, it's supposed to be one of those moments that's like, oh, shit, that's fucking awesome. Scorpion's back. And I was just 
completely indifferent. Like I was like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> and, and, I thought and the music was cool. The music yeah. for that scene was fucking tight. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, I also felt like none of the characters were really characters. Even no, like like the main character has an arc, but he's also boring as fuck. Like yeah, I, and none of the other characters have arcs, which is fine. But every single character, and this includes Kano, who is the best part of this movie. <laughs> All of these characters are one note as fuck. All of them. Sonya Blade could have not been in the movie and it wouldn't have made a fucking difference. And it would not have made a difference. It would not have made a difference. Not at all. I... I also... I also feel like everyone in terms of the acting was was really all over the place except for Kano. Like, it... He understood the material. He knew he was supposed yeah. to be having fun with a role, and he did. I and it was, he was awesome. Hilarious. I think yeah, it was the I did best too. Part of the movie for me. But uh, I don't know. I there were some other things that were like I actually think the directing on this is pretty pretty solid. Like there were some really fucking dumb decisions. Like mm-hmm. so many hero shots, man. Like yeah. every fucking character had that fucking tilt up. Dutch angle from their fucking feet and I was just like yeah alright man I get it I fucking understand they're a hero cool but like I don't know man like there were also some really poor shot decisions in terms of like uh, that panning kind of crane shot when you're supposed to be seeing the temple all I fucking saw was dirt dude that's yeah. all I fucking saw I was like what what well, like, I- what is happening I think my biggest my biggest issue with this whole fucking movie is, you know, everybody everybody is def- like from the people I've seen defending it on social media, um, even though I know I said I don't think it's as bad as people are making it out to be. And, and I don't I really don't think it's a terror. I don't think it's the worst video game adaptation movie I've ever fucking seen. Um, it's definitely not a good one, but it's not the worst. Um but a lot of people that I've seen defending it are like, oh, well, Mortal Kombat's not supposed to have a story anyway. So it was OK that the story was shit. I was like, have you have any have, did you play nine, ten or fucking eleven? Any of those three at all? Have you touched any of those? Because the stories in all three of those were actually pretty fucking in depth and they were pretty fucking good. Yeah, they were pretty solid. So I the whole argument that, oh, it didn't need a story that that's kind of bullshit. That, well, that's not th- really a real argument. That's all. Well, it, not only is it a bad argument because Mortal Kombat has a history of having pretty solid stories in it, but also it's a movie. It has to have a story. Like you, you can't get around that. Like it, if that's your argument, then you're not watching good movies. Sorry, you're just not. <laughs> Honestly, like, like, would you make the same the same case for Marvel movies if it was just the heroes and villains fighting each other? Yeah, like nothing else. No character arc. No in depth explanations. Nothing. You yeah. would be cool with that. That's, uh, yeah, I don't know, but I'm, so I'm not going to be watching the movie again. I think I will maybe again, just because it is so fun. I, I think that there are, I really think that the fight sequences are awesome. There's a lot of like medium shots that just yeah. really let you see what the fuck is going on. Like the choreography, you can actually see it. Mm. Whereas you're watching like a fucking Jason Bourne movie and it's all like shaky cam and it's right in the, and, and like, I get it. I know what you're going for, 
you're supposed to be making me feel like I'm in the fight, but also, like, I can't fucking tell what is happening. Stop yeah. doing that shit. Mm. Everyone fucking does that shit, and it annoys the piss out of me. Yeah. Uh, Marvel movies are really bad about that, too. They are. They're, like, ugh. But, yeah, I think it's pretty solid. I, it's not anything in especially incredible, but it is tons of fun, which accounts for a lot for me. Um, and you said it's not one of the best. I think it's in the, at the very least, the top half of movie adaptations that I've seen. I, like, I thought it was pretty solid. I think it's flawed as all fuck, but I don't know. I, I dug it. I thought it was, I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was okay. It was a, it was an enjoyable ride that I was glad when I was able to get off. Uh, Dylan, I hey. skipped. I, I skipped over you because you didn't write anything down. Yep. Nope, been working. Okay, that's what I do. <laughs> Play some games now and then. Um, uh, we'll get to that later. <laughs> no, we'll get to it right fucking now. You know what? Oh, I've been okay. Doing? Let me tell you okay. what I've been doing. All right. So here's what's here's what's happening. I've let my ADD take over. Uh, okay. I'm not trying to just complete a game. <laughs> single like by itself anymore i would try to do that cyberpunk shit like that that's fine but there's a part of me that just wants to play everything all the time and i'm not i'm not gonna say no to that anymore like right now i'm playing kingdom hearts i'm playing world of warcraft and this afternoon i started horizon zero dawn just okay i mean that's a game that i haven't actually beaten before played it before just haven't beaten it so i don't know i'm not saying no to all the mass amounts of games that I always want to play, which is a lot all the fucking time. Yeah. I just have random urges and mm. I, and I skip around a lot, but I'm, I'm just not worrying about it anymore. I'm just going to have fun. I have a little time to play games. So I'm going to enjoy the ones that I want to play when I want to play them type of thing. Instead of just trying to, Hey, I started this game. I need to finish it type of thing, which is true. I still feel like I'm going to finish these games, but maybe by me flip flopping a little more I'll have more love for the time that I spend on them because I actually want to be on the game at that time type of thing mm-hmm. so that's what I'm doing alrighty <laughs> uh, alright well uh, let's get into our main topic as we all know video games don't assume are, um, okay <laughs> no assumptions made here Thank you. Uh, video games are known for a lot of different things. Uh, you know, there's their interactive storytelling. There's gorgeous computer rendered graphics. There's the various systems that coalesce into a fun gameplay loop. But perhaps the thing that has arguably defined video games in pop culture more than any other aspect has been a little thing called the boss. Bosses and boss battles are one of, if not the most rec- recognizable... Good job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ...phrases in all of pop culture. Uh, when you say the phrase boss battle, people inherently know what you're talking about. It has become ubiquitous, but still, bosses are something somewhat unique to games. So today, we're going to dive deep into video game bosses. Where do they come from? What makes a good boss? And possibly the most important question of all... What are some of our favorite bosses? Um, so a little bit of history here. I, I, I went looking this up. Um, 
the origin of the term boss uh, is really hard to pin down, but there is an episode. Uh, there is uh, 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 um, great. Yeah, there's an episode of a uh, podcast from Kotaku that I didn't bother looking the name up of. Uh, but they were saying that it is possible that it originated from the 1971 Bruce Lee film, The Big Boss, uh, also known as Fist of Fury. Uh, and in it, Lee has a big showdown with the crime boss slash gank boss. Um, I'm not sure why that would necessarily come over to gaming, but that's what they were saying that they thought it could be traced back to. And really, it begins a, a lot of... Uh, people point to Nintendo Power around the year of 1988 as how it began to rise, like that term began to rise in popularity. Um, so the first thing I'll probably ask is I'll, I'll, I'll kick it to you first, Dylan. What do you think of when you hear boss or uh, maybe a better question is what is your definition of a boss? Um, I feel like it's ambiguous. I mean, because there's different tiers, there's mini bosses and stuff like that. But when I personally think of a boss, mm, it's hard because I've played a lot of games and there's a lot of different definitions of what that could truly mean. Um, I feel like it's, it's, it's the ending of a chapter to me, if that makes sense. It's um, the end of a certain part of a game because there's that boss that you're leading up to. Like that's kind of, I guess the the premise of it all is that that's where the where the name originates from. It, it means the head of something, the top of something, mm-hmm. essentially. So to me, it just means the end of a chapter, but also it means that you know that's that's a test to you. You know, what's coming, you know, what's going to be a boss battle type of thing. I mean, I think of a challenge at the end of the day, um, you know, a challenge to yourself. And then there's obviously the term final boss. You know, when you think of kingdom hearts, it's Ansem or something like, you know, along those lines, 13 different names. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All the different iterations, but, um, it, it can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's like, it's the last challenge to a particular chapter or the game itself. I don't know. It's it's really ambiguous. That's a deep question, Josh. <laughs> well, started off deep. I, I try. That's the only way to start. Uh, yeah, Austin, just ram it. <laughs> Austin, do you have any insight uh, that you'd yeah, like to provide? Uh, like when I think of a boss, I think of like... Um, I'm not trying to get too game specific. Like I'm trying to make it more like in general. Um, but when I, when I think of a boss, I think of like a like maybe a character that like you can't you can't like you can't advance without clearing because you know um, uh, like a bunch of smaller care like most games smaller characters like yeah you can fight them and you know get rewards such as exp or items or stuff like that but like you don't really have to you can kind of just keep going like you don't really have to pay attention to them but usually like when I think of boss I think of a character that like you cannot just walk past. Like, you're not going to be able to just walk past because this motherfucker is going to try to shove you up against the fucking wall. Um, so, yeah. Oh, man. Usually that. And then also everything Dylan said. 
Okay. I just love that we're going uh, shoving up against a wall and everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, Dylan's I mean, really into that shit. Same. I can't say I blame him. Uh, it's nice to be in control. I'll oh, see. I like it the other way around. Oh, yeah. just yeah. He, no, he's me. the one who likes to be slammed against the wall. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Then you know we got both both sides of the toast right here. And then we got Josh to film it. That's all we need. God damn. I'll, we I'll just make made sure, money. I'll make sure to artfully edit it all together. <laughs> yeah, you said you wanted to get into filmography. You didn't <laughs> say what kind. <laughs> this is going to be one of those very, uh, very tasteful art house pornos. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Culture Bop. Look at how fucking official that sounds. <laughs> And every time that the Culture Bop logo comes up, the bop is the sound of a dick coming out of someone's <laughs> mouth, like a little popping sound. Okay. Nope. <laughs> this is not happening anymore. I try not to take things too far, but then I get these ideas but and then you took it stay inside thoughts. Uh, they just can't be inside thoughts. Other people have to know them. We would say that Josh would edit this out, but we know he's not going to. No, I'm not no, going to at not. all. No, because this is where the title of the show is going to come from. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but this is where <laughs> it's coming from. Culture cock. That has to be it. Nope. <laughs> Putting it to a vote. Nope. That is, that is going to get us banned from all fucking podcast feeds. <laughs> Will it? Uh, probably uh, not. There's actually a Patreon called The Cum Boys, so I don't know. Oh, that's delicious. <laughs> Oh my God. Jesus. All right, Jesus. listen. Uh bosses <laughs> I uh, bosses began showing up uh as early as 1979's D&D, which was a text-based adventure. Uh that was based around Dungeons and Dragons, but uh they couldn't actually use that name because licensing issues. Uh but Austin, I want to know um yes. what is the first boss you remember? fighting oh dude um straight up the first boss that i can remember fighting was god damn it i wish i knew what it was called it was the little fucking drill car that dr eggman sticks in sits in oh okay into the green hill zone of uh, sonic the hedgehog 2 that's the very first boss i ever remember fighting funny enough that's also mine that's super weird that's that like my first game console was the Sega Genesis, uh, and the Same. pack-in game was Sonic Two. So, I think for for the first console that I, that was ever actually mine, I would probably say the the fucking oh my god! Now I'm not going to remember their name. The little fucking ball dudes from Bionicle. Do you remember oh, those? Anybody no remember idea. those? Okay, you guys might be too old for that. I don't know. No, I, I remember Bionicle, likely. but. Like the Legos, but I don't remember the games. Yeah, that, that was that was my one of my very first like uh, that was one of my very first games was a uh, Bionicle on the original Xbox. Okay. That was like my first console that was ever like fully mine, and so I'm pretty sure I'm dude. I'm gonna have to look that up because that's gonna piss me off. Um, but yeah, it's the little ball things that like shoot that like their necks. They do like fucking that thing, whatever that whatever the term is for that. And they make like, a gif of that. At you. Yeah, if you want to. I was hot. <laughs> I guess it was a dick sucking motion. Now that yeah, it was. <sighs> I regret. Culture that. cock. No, I don't. Culture cock. Come back for your monthly uh, updates. I don't <laughs> fucking know. Yep. You almost had it. You had come, and that's all you needed to start with. <laughs> you just had to find something to finish it with. 
We'll get and to I it. Could, we'll figure I it out at the end of the episode. Um, all right. Well, uh, Dylan, what, what, what is your it? what is your earliest uh, memory of 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 a boss? Um, it's really hard, man, because like I played games for so long, but then I don't know why, but one of the most early memories I can remember of me accomplishing something in regards to a boss. I don't know why, but it was a uh, crash crash. What was the cart game crash? Something crash team racing. Was it just CTR? Yeah. Crash team racing back on the original days, like uh facing what's his name oxide, the very last boss on there. I know it seems really out of left field, but that's just the one that I remember first for some reason. I played games well before that, obviously, but for some reason, that's just the one that always stands out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was super fun. I remember we it was like we were renting the game. Yeah, imagine, right? And then it was, it was like the last day, so I woke up early in the morning to play it. And um, I don't know, I just remember like kind of speed running my way through it, and I got to him beat it super happy i think that was one of the first times i remember seeing the credits roll in a game by doing it myself and not really having help from you know dad or whatever but i don't know that was just one of the ones that really stand out to me i'm trying to i i feel like there was something that came before that maybe spyro itself but um definitely that one stands out as one of the first like early good memories for uh boss ending boss scenarios i'm not going to say it was a fight it was a race but you know what i mean yeah 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 of course uh, Before we move on, bow rocks. That's what they're called. That's what it was. Bow rocks. Okay. Interesting. Well, um. It's not. What? Hey, fuck you. <laughs> I was so confused. I had no idea what was happening. It's okay. Uh, so, one of the things I think that we have to take into account when we're talking about, like, Bosses. Uh, Are you going to tell us yours? Uh, I did. did. Uh, yeah, oh. it was it was Eggman at yeah. the end of uh, Green Hill. Oh, um, I thought you were going to do something unique, and not his. I understand. Like that was the first one you remember. I just thought maybe you would throw out <laughs> another one. Yeah, no. The uh, the only other one I can really remember, like having any like recollection of around that same time was there was a video game. Uh, fuck. I don't remember what it was called, but it was a, it was a Looney Tunes game. And, uh, the level was, I was playing as bugs and I had to be like a matador and fight the bull. And that was the boss fight. Uh, I don't really remember much else from around that time, to be honest with you. Uh, after that, it was like PlayStation era. And that was like, like I remember playing Revolver or beating Revolver Ocelot and Metal Gear Solid or, uh, you know, um, I'm trying to remember the first boss fight in like Final Fantasy VIII. I get, I guess you would count Ifrit. I don't know, but yeah. Um, no, yeah. The the thing that I think we need to talk about is the design of bosses because that's really what kind of I think puts them in our memory and puts them in the the consciousness of video gamers. That's uh, gamers, not video gamers. That's a fucking weird. Um, but when you get down to the basics, uh, 
they're really just more difficult than regular enemies. That you know, they have more powerful attacks, they have more HP, so they can endure more, and they're generally generally found at the end of the level, but Austin, do you think that there are any other basic characteristics that we should really mention before we get into like the the complexity of boss design? Um yeah, I think for like especially older games like um like 18 and 16 like 18 like 8 and 16 bit games uh usually the design of bosses will be like significantly larger than than other enemies that you that you've encountered so far um I, th- I think that's really it. Like the design, wa- design wise, they usually are just they're they're usually made somehow to to just be so different than what you've encountered so far, and like really stand out to give you that impression. Like, oh shit! Like this is a big deal. You know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's think, not I, like another character. It's like yeah, uh, like you're big, watching in. It's like you're watching an anime, and all of a sudden you see someone with like vibrant colored hair. You're like, oh yeah, they're not a side character. <laughs> Like it's the same way for the boss. Game anime, then they're then that's just every character. Oh, true, but no, it's like they're vastly different than what you've encountered thus far. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, So, I I was trying to I I posed that question to you guys because I was trying to think of anything else that is like like a basic thing of like Mm -hmm. boss design. I couldn't think of anything. It's it's like. When you boil it all the way down, it's just that they're more difficult than regular enemies, and they're generally found at le- the end of levels. But and they're generally accompanied by a bomb ass soundtrack. Yeah, uh, that's actually. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, that's that's something that I didn't even. Think that's about. something like when I think of. I mean, I, the most classic example would be Sephiroth to me. Oh yeah, like the one winged yep. angel. Yep. Yeah, that's a great fucking song. It is. Um. So obviously it's not just that, right? So there's there's more complexity when you're designing the boss. Uh, and I think that it really kind of breaks down into three sort of molds. Uh, and a boss really has to fit at least one of these three things. It can fit all of them, but it has to do at least one of these three. And that is test of skill. It, you know, it has to be a test of skill. It has to have some sort of... Uh, narrative purpose or it has to be a change of ba- uh, change of pace for like game mechanics um, and we'll we'll start with the first one right so the test of skill is you know where it, it means really that the boss is going to challenge you and everything that you've learned in in terms of like your skills it's going to put you to the test mm-hmm. um, and I tend to think of the Soul series of games <laughs> uh, when when this pops up. Uh, although th- I think that they also fit, uh, or at least some of them also fit into the uh, narrative device sort of thing. Um, but you know, Dylan, I mean, hey, obviously you're going to say the Soul series, of course. Well, but uh, yeah, I'm going to say the Soul series. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, I guess is it. Go ahead, t- talk about those games. <laughs> Uh, they're really good. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, I will stick with Dark Souls three for this one because I think it's the one we probably all have the most experience with, but um, or at least the most recent experience with. Um, 
let's be real. The game throws you in. You spawn in this creepy ass cemetery looking place and you have some time to get accustomed to some basic enemies who have some pretty straightforward attacks and you make it about mm, 15 minutes in the game. Now you can take a little side path and you can maybe find one of the crystal lizards and truly test your skills for a little bit because they are very difficult to beat at that early of a level, but you can try and then you advance a little further and here's your first boss. It's Gundir, like one of the most memorable bosses of all time for me because this is if this is your first Souls game, this is your first scenario of, oh shit, I'm out of my comfort zone. I have no idea what to do. And, you know, nine times out of ten, you go and die mm-hmm. on your first try. But that's kind of when you see the game's charm start to come out. You get to understand it's like, okay, I'm dying, but why? You know, you can start to see these mechanics in Gundir. You can understand what you did wrong. You can grow from these games. And that's what I think promotes a great boss fight is the ability to learn. One of the things that I'll talk about later is the Soul of Cinder fight in Dark Souls is one of the best boss fights of all time, in my opinion. I put it top three. Um, And the reason why is because you have to be so precise. He has so many different attacks and phases, and it's just a challenge through and through. But once you get it, you feel like a god amongst men. I remember when I was streaming it a few months back, like it was a chat, like everyone was there cheering me on. They saw me learning step by step. They could see progress in it. And then the time that I got it, I did it without taking a single hit. That was fucking huge. The accomplishment feeling that comes from Dark Souls bosses is unparalleled. I think there are very few things that can make you feel as good as conquering a Dark Souls boss and then conquering the last one of the series. It's huge, but it makes you feel like a god, and I think that's a testament to what makes a great boss fight. Yeah, I I agree with you. Uh, do, uh, <laughs> I don't know uh, if you were watching when I when I started streaming Dark Souls, uh, but I was getting super frustrated with that motherfucker, and he's <laughs> he's probably the easiest fucking boss in the game. <laughs> and that's the sad thing; he is easy, but even when you learn the fight, he'll still fuck you up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for because, sure. Because the Souls games just like to punish you like that. Yes, I, I agree. I agree. They like to fucking punish you. Punish I say you that, and butt. I did download Bloodborne last night, and I'm going to try that. Oh, oh, delicious. Bloodborne is the best Souls game. That is, yeah. Really? Truly, those ending fights, yes. Oh, okay. Cool. You have the best of the best in your hands right now. I wish they gave it like a true remaster. Yeah. Upgrade, but I'm glad you're at least getting to play it. It's my favorite atmosphere from a Souls game. Has my favorite bosses from a Souls It's tied for my favorite bosses from a Souls game. Um, it, and the combat is so fluid. I love it, dude. I think you'll have a good time with it. Word. Yeah, they put it in the... Um, it's in the... What do they call it, Josh? The the PlayStation uh, the, collection substitute. Uh, yeah, it's the... I, I forget what it's called, but... Yeah, yeah. what was in that, so... I got it for free. So I was like, you know what? Josh and Dylan constantly talk about this series. I'm going to actually go back to it and try it again. Dude, get ready to get your ass kicked. (laughs) I don't know. Prepare to die. I probably will. Yeah. I know that I will. Um, so Austin, do you have another good example? 
Uh, I'm not going to lie. When you asked Dylan that question, August was screaming his fucking brains out. So you're going to have to repeat the question. Uh, just do you have a good example of what a boss, uh, a good test of skill boss is? Oh, dude, I, I have a perfect one, but I almost don't want to say it because that's going to be our, our, you know, picks for our favorite bosses later. All right. That, that's it. totally fine. That's totally yeah, fine. I, don't I just did mine, you little cheeky cunt. Well, <laughs> that's you. Uh, well, um, I put in the show notes, or not the show notes, but the uh, the outline here. I put Mister Freeze uh, from the Arkham or from Arkham City specifically. Oh, I forgot. Um, and I think that that's a really good fight because it really challenges you to switch up your tactics all the time. Because if yep. you think that you're just going to spam him, it's not going to happen because he has things that will counteract thing uh, like what you're doing. So like. Mm-hmm. If you're constantly just lurking up on the gargles or whatever, he takes notice of that and then he like freezes the gargles and you can't go up there anymore. Like you have to constantly be changing your fucking tactics in order to fight him. And I think that that's really like showcases a thoughtful level of design for the boss and making you use these skills that you have learned and performing those in a in a witty manner to kind of take him down. I, I think that's, a, I think he's a great boss fight. It's uh, that's not only like, not only is it just a really unique boss fight in general, but it, it's especially unique to the Arkham franchise. Um, most Arkham bosses, especially in Arkham city, Jesus fucking Christ. Um, it usually revolves you using the same, the same, you know, one, two or three gadgets over and over to do a very specific pattern. Mm hmm. And like you said, you cannot do that with Mr. Free. So so the next one uh, that we should probably talk about is, is the boss as a narrative device. Um, and honestly, that just means like, how does the boss fit into the overall narrative? And like I, like I said before, you know, the, the souls bosses, it, some of them, uh, I, I would argue that a, a pretty decent chunk of them fit into the narrative really, really well. But uh, the first one that immediately jumped out to me was Doc Ock in Spider-Man PS4. Uh, and that's because the fight with Doc Ock is the culmination of both his plotline and Peter's plotline. And their individual stories are intero- interwoven into like this really poignant tale that explodes with that final boss fight. Um, but... Uh, Austin, what's a, a good example for you of like a, a good narrative-based boss fight? Um, I'm going to be honest. Uh, a very recent one that I played, um, I'm going to say the Prowler from Miles Morales as okay. a plot device. Because, um, you know, he starts out, he, he's kind of he's two-timing you a little bit. He's, he's trying to help you against Roxxon, but then he's also kind of feeding information to Roxxon as far as the Tinkerer goes and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And then he he knocks Miles out while he's swinging through the city, locks him in a cage underground, and he was like, I'm, I'm not letting you out because I'm not letting you get killed by Roxxon. And that was one of the biggest moments in the game for me as far as where Miles really understood. He was like, I'm the only one that can do this, so I have to do this. I don't have a choice. And you're, you're forced to beat the shit out of your fucking uncle for 15 minutes. And um, mm. by the end of it, you know, obviously by the end of the game, Prowler has a change of heart, turns himself in for all the shit that he's done. But that that was a big 
for me, in my opinion, that was a big turning point in Miles' story because it really helped put the pressure on Miles that, like, hey, like, shit's going to go south quick if I'm not doing something about this. Whereas, you know, his uncle was trying to trying to stop him because he, he didn't want to see his nephew get hurt. He didn't want to lose his nephew like he lost his brother. And I thought that was deep. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <clears throat> uh, what about you, Dylan? Uh, GLaDOS. Oh, Portal, yes. I think, is the whole reason that story even moves forward in the first place. Yeah, she's a great fucking antagonist. Yeah, um, truly, she dri- she literally drives the narrative forward by herself at all times. Um, I think there are very few examples that could be put over her. I mean, I know there are great contestants, but she revolutionized what I saw antagonist bosses to be in a video game. And it culminates down to a fantastic boss fight with her in the long run. And then, you know, kind of flipping that spectrum in portal Two, she goes from being your antagonist to being attached to your fucking arm. And she's talking shit the whole time. Like there's, (laughs) there's, it's just a really great aspect. Like you have this epic boss fight paired up with now the bosses attached to your hip through the whole entire second game almost i mean it's you don't see stuff like that a lot and again in both factors she drives the narrative forward so that's really um that's what makes a good um narrative driving boss to me but there's so many good examples like you said the souls games they kind of propel themselves forward um you have to really dive deep to understand the souls lore so that's what makes them special. Um, I, the other example I want to give you is again, the second choice of my boss, my favorite bosses of all time or whatever. But you know, if Austin can withhold his candidate, I can withhold my candidate. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, fair enough. Uh, one thing that I wanted to ask you about, uh, since we were talking about, oh, um, I thought of one more real quick. Sorry. Okay. Handsome Jack. Oh yeah. Handsome Jack. Dude, that, I love Handsome Jack, and that that yeah. final boss fight is like is really good. Because it's so fucking good, man. Yeah, um, you, you fucking threw me off. Yeah, fucking love that shit. Yeah, and he again comes back in Borderlands Three, not as a friend like Glados did, but just as a memory, almost. And it's still haunting hearing him. Like he. He's just a fucking solid boss overall, like an evil, evil asshole. You want to see him dead, and then you just hear more about his backstory, like with his daughter and wife and shit. It's just, it gets so much worse. Mm-hmm. There's no redeeming factors with him whatsoever, and he's one of the best bosses of all time. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Um, I was going to ask you, do you, how fondly do you remember... GLaDOS becoming a potato in Portal 2. That's <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite things, dude. I, I fucking love that shit, dude. You don't expect half the shit that happens in those games. That all. I mean, no. And the fact that she's a potato, like, uh, like she's this giant fucking supreme supercomputer and she gets turned into a fucking potato. <laughs> <laughs> I fuck it, dude. Portal Two is so fucking good. It is. It's great, man. I need to play those. You need to put. Pl- yeah, yeah, yeah. You do. They're, they're ch- like on your list to buy, or you've already bought them and you're just waiting to play them. No, on my list to buy. Oh, okay. Yeah, you need to get on that shit. Yeah, super worth. So good. So is that on Steam. 
Uh, uh yeah. Yeah, they should definitely be on Steam. Yeah, they're Valve. They are. Um, I'm honestly kind of surprised that you didn't mention anything about Persona, uh, Austin, because I think yeah, I am too. All of those We're only talking about are... good games. <laughs> Fucking hate you. <laughs> Uh, I really feel like all of the, pers- or, well, almost all of the Persona bosses really tie into the narrative well, but. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't think about that. I should have, yeah. I didn't. Uh, it is what it is. Um, but the uh, the next, next one uh, that we were talking about is the kind of change of pace mechanically. And I think that these, well, I mean, these are really simple to kind of define also. These are just bosses that kind of change up the gameplay the moment-to-moment gameplay and how they're designed so like uh it, it for for instance mario bosses they take you know the game from a 2d platformer or well mostly 2d platformer to these like almost like miniature arena battles and you're stuck in an arena to fight this one monster and it's no longer you know a platformer or anything like that but um I'll toss it to you again, Dylan. Uh, do you have any uh, picks hard, for man. this? That one's hard for me. I have some initial thoughts, mm-hmm. but uh, that one kind of puts me on the spot. Uh, I want to say, I know it's going to sound weird, but Castle Crashers, Okay, like that, was, that was a really fun game, and the bosses did kind of switch switch things up on you a little bit if i'm Mm -hmm. remembering correctly maybe not as drastically as what we're trying to go for here but i do remember having some really especially the last boss fight with the the sorcerer like you're having constant changes with him fucking kingdom hearts you want to talk about changing shit up the ansem fight at the very end you go through like 13 different goddamn phases (laughs) right and they're all goddamn different dude and it's so like that one's one of the ones i remember being uh a pain in the ass and since i'm on that topic the ursula fight uh, oh bro ridiculously yeah. hard man because all these other bosses you're used to just sitting there and powering through like you can just swing away and do all this but the second you do the first phase of ursula's fight you're having to in order to really damage her you got to start using magic on her pot and then you can attack her when she's stunned but then you go into phase two and she's now 500 stories tall and she's zapping lightning all around you at all times. Like that fight in itself really switched it up from all the other fights in the game leading up to that point. And it's a pain in the ass, man. And I don't know, like that series did a really good job in the early days of taking boss fights and making them different and difficult. Even the Sephiroth fights in those games were um, just absolutely terrifying. Um, yeah, the first and second game, he comes to fuck shit up and he manages to do it. I, com- um, I completely forgot he was even in the first one. Yeah, he's in the first one in the uh, Coliseum, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I remember that now. No, but Coliseum. I don't know. There's a lot. And I wish I had like time to sit and really think about that question because I'm sure there are some. And again, I'll talk about one at the end when we're talking about our favorites that kind of meet that criteria too. But um, Kingdom Hearts specifically with switching up mechanics, I know you have probably one of the best of all time uh, ready to go, Josh, with um, it's the Psycho... What was it? Not Psycho Mantis. What is it? The the Scarecrow? No, the Metal Gear Solid. Oh, uh, yeah, like Psycho the, Mantis. 
Yeah, because like he starts taking control over you or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Like he he completely flips the script of like you're in control of pretty much everything the entire time, and then he comes in as like reading your mind and like is controlling at at the beginning of that fight. If I'm not forgetting or if I'm remembering this correctly, he takes control of Meryl, and you have to fight like your companion. Yeah. As a, as opposed to actually fighting him, and it's just it's a sweet sweet change of pace. Yeah, it's a really cool aspect. That's because when I thought of this, my initial thought wasn't any game that I've played. It's the one that you told me about, which was that because that one stands out to me as being pretty sick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, I didn't even think of one like that. Like for me, it, it, it his inclusion in the narrative and and what he has to say about really kind of like the game in general but also video games but now that you say that yeah he's a very good change of pace boss because right he's the one not only is he he the one that is like (laughs) how do i i almost feel like Sniper Wolf also falls into this category for me because I feel like almost all the other bosses in Metal Gear Solid, you have to, uh, I, I don't want to say brute force your way around, but like yeah. there isn't much to them, mm-hmm. so to speak. Like, <sighs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to really describe what I'm trying to trying to say, but like when you get into that fight, he's the one fucking with you. It's not the other way around. Like you're kind of like stealthing around and sneaking around all these enemies and like, you know, putting them in, in different positions and whatnot. And then when you get to the psycho Manus fight, he is the one who is fucking with you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that great fucking point. I didn't even think of him like that, but yeah. Uno momento. I'm going to go get my food. I'll be right back. All right. Uh, I guess if we're taking a little break, I am going to run to pee real quick, and I'll I will also be right back. Enjoy your pay pay. We'll do. Like no, not enjoy the pee. Enjoy your pee pee. Oh, I'm going to. Okay, just making sure. Leave that in. What you got there? 
everybody just take a bathroom break or something? He's got a muted microphone. Y- yep, uh, he does. <laughs> Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> what do you got? What? What do you got? What, food wise? Yes. KFC. Uh, KFC. Interesting. Why? Uh, because, um, well, yeah, go ahead. Be racist. Uh, no, no, I'm not going to be racist. Okay. You had a look on your face. That's yeah, scream why racism. Do you, why do you have that look? What's, what's going on with you? What the fuck is your problem uh, with me eating KFC? It's not very good. Well, if I wanted a good meal, I would have made something or I would have went to a nicer restaurant. I wanted a quick meal, not a good one. Uh, well, I mean, I guess I guess that's fair. I am going to turn my screen off, though, because I'm about to eat some wings, and I'm going to look gross. So okay, good. I'm okay. still here, though. All right. Um, well, uh, real quick, before you start eating, yes, I'm going to ask you, what do you think is... Uh, or actually, hang on. So, uh, Austin, uh, yep. we'll kick it over to you. What do you? Okay. What is a good example to you of a change of pace boss fight? Enlighten um, me. Enlighten us. I I don't want to use what's in the doc, but honestly, the, after we talked about Mister Freeze, that's the first thing that I think of is the Scarecrow fight from Arkham Asylum. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys had just talked about that in the five seconds that I was away. No, no, yeah, we we, we talked about it in d- deep detail. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay, whatever. Fuck you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic example of change of pace because it's it's not like anything else you've encountered in the game thus far. It, it almost similar to the Psycho Mantis fight. It fucks with you. Um, I remember being in like seventh grade and playing that game for the first time and legitimately thinking my Xbox just like bent over and took a shit in its own mouth. Like I had no <laughs> idea what the fuck was happening. Not so much the first two encounters, but in the third encounter when like uh, the screen freezes up and you get all the fucking static and snow and shit. It was spooky. It was very spooky. And uh, it, yeah, it, 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 it was fun. It was fun. It was a good time. Well, it's kind of scary. I was younger when I played, so I I, th- I vividly remember being actually terrified of what was happening on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was great. It was a nice little change of pace. Instead of you know punching him, you got to fight hordes, and you got to fucking shine the fu- the the fucking searchlights on him, the fucking shrink him or whatever dumb yeah. shit gimmick they had for that. Um, mm-hmm. It was great. Doesn't he get his face? That's where he gets his face mauled off by Croc, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. I think I think that's yeah. Right. Croc like pulls him into the water, and that's why he's fucking deformed later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, MMOs also do a good job of creating very great boss tactics to have to battle your way through World of Warcraft in particular. While I'm thinking of it, but I don't know. They just do a really great job at all the ending big boss fights from back in the day, like the Lich King or Deathwing, stuff like that. They had these great transitioning fights that weren't like the other phases, so that's also an option. Oh. Yeah. Uh, well, that is... You, I, you would know more about that than I would because... I know. I just wanted to say World of Warcraft again. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, really, the, those help to, I think inform the design of bosses but there's still something that i think we we have to consider and that's kind of the trouble when we're looking at bosses and and that's 
if you take a look at them, uh, you know, they can be too easy or too hard. Or, or you could even look at them with, uh, in regards to time, you know, if uh, a battle is, it could be, you know, very time consuming or it could also be not long enough. And I think that there are some um, problems that you will run into where if a boss isn't hard enough, you don't feel rewarded when you defeat them. Or if you're in a boss fight that's, you know, it's just taking too long to get through. It feels like a slog and you just want to be done with it. It's not very fun. Um, are, are there, Dylan, are there any other clear cut problems that you have to tackle when designing a boss? Do you think? I haven't designed one yet. Um, <laughs> all right. No, okay. I mean, I was actually trying to think of a boss that's too hard. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Um, too easy for me would be games like Mario, because that's one of the reasons I don't play it, is that I have no satisfaction out of it whatsoever, because it's way too easy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the... But it, the uh, the po- the sad thing about the Mario, sorry, not to cut you off, but the sad thing about the oh. Mario things is that they all follow sort of the the same formula where you you jump into arena, you bop the enemy on the head three times, and then it's over. They're yeah. very easy. I don't know. I just think the mechanics of the fight have to make sense too. Um, I mean, if you're change- if you're flipping the script, right? Like, imagine if the Psychomantis had all these great ideas, but they were not implemented in the right way whatsoever. So, not only is it a hard fight, but now you're left feeling frustrated because the mechanics of the fight weren't hammered out the way they should have been. So, I think for me, a boss fight being too hard doesn't exist. I can't think of one off the top of my head. Can you? Like, really? Like, uh. That's what I, because I was like, I wonder if I could think of that and then play off that of what could go wrong with the boss fight, but I can't think of one that's too hard. Usually I've persevered. I don't think I've ever just given up on a game completely. I think I, uh, I think I could argue like back in the day when I was playing um, Dark Souls 3 for the, for the first time, I got really frustrated. I don't know that they are necessarily too hard. It's more like I don't have the patience for them. Um, I gotcha. Yeah, I, I I am struggling to think of one that is also too hard. I mean, De- Deacons of the Deep really did me in the first time Ugh. I was playing Dark Souls 3. Like, I, I could not figure that boss fight out to save my life. Um, I mean, okay, so I'll use that as the mechanical thing. Like, yeah, okay, if you know how to do the boss fight, shouldn't be too much of a pain in the ass. But that is such a boring fight to do. I fucking hate that fight. <laughs> That's like of all the Dark Souls bosses, I think that has to be in the lowest percentile. It's just bad. Mm-hmm. It's not even fun. Like you're having to kite and it's not even difficult. Like you can do it easily. It's just a slow and boring process. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I'm I'm really heated with that boss fight. But mechanically, <laughs> I think they just need to you have to hammer out your details. If you're gonna be flipping the script in certain ways, I mean, little things. Imagine if the Storm Ruler wouldn't have worked in the Yorm boss fight in Dark Souls 3 or something like that. Not yeah. necessarily didn't work, but, you know, they had this idea, but 
what if they would have done way too little damage and your own weapons wouldn't have done too much damage at all if anything i mean there's there's all these aspects that have to go into designing a boss and i think that hammering out those details of mechanics are probably an underlooked um facet just because you know we're always like is the boss cool i mean does it you know make sense i don't know there's a lot i i wish i had some really in-depth answer for you but really to me it's just does it make sense and does it feel right facing the boss type of thing yeah you can ask chicken man but i don't know (laughs) hey chicken man is it weird that i'm already done with my whole meal jesus christ Uh, what's wrong with you you have like a three-piece why didn't you go to Popeye's? Because uh, Popeye's isn't on DoorDash. Popeye's on DoorDash? What the fuck? No, it's not. I don't think so. It's on mine. Maybe you I've just don't have Popeye's it. nearby. Uh, I do. I've got one like five minutes away. Damn, bro. I feel so bad. I don't know. I don't. I, you're right. Popeye's is definitely better than Chick-fil-A and probably would have been a more satisfying meal. Or not Chick-fil-A. KFC. Yes. That's what I meant. I, I like do. Chick-fil-A. I do also think Popeyes is better than Chick Fil A. Uh, you're. Un- I agree. It's okay to be wrong. I. I just. I don't know. I don't need Chick Fil A. Um, but um, what? What was? The um, pose that question again. Are there any clear cut problems that you can think when it comes to designing a boss, other than you know? Thinking about the difficulty being too easy or too hard, or how long the the battle takes, whether it's you know too short or too long. I think my biggest one would be like, um, especially, especially in Souls games. Um, you know, being someone on the outside, not having played any of them other than like the first hour of Dark Souls one. Um, I would say like making sure that boss is like a good test of what you've learned so far, if that makes sense. Like. Like, there are a lot of games that will, like, like in a specific level, you, like, learn a new skill, and then you fight the boss, but, like, the boss has, like, not really anything to do with that, with said new skill, so it's like, why the fuck did I, did I even bother to learn the new skill if you weren't gonna test me on the new fucking skill? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's not Dark Souls specific. Um, and no, that's in general. That's not. Yeah, that's just in general, but, um... Yeah, I would say that. I would say making sure the boss is a good test of what you've learned so far and what you've acquired so far and mm-hmm. not just, like, dropping that. Because I, I I, I can't think of any specific examples off the top of my head, but I have played a lot of games where it's, like, where it, it's that situation. You, like, get a new skill or a new power-up or something, and then, like, you face the boss, and there there's, like, no mention of it. You don't even fucking use it, and, and it's just, like, why? why? Why did you bother putting that in the game if I'm just not going to fucking use it? Um, yeah, for sure. That's really stupid, but yeah, I think that would be it. Okay. Uh, well, I think the the how how we fix those is probably th- probably threefold, and that all ties back into our the three things that we put forward. You know, the test of skill, yeah. the narrative device, and the change of pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we make I think boss. Or I not we because we we don't design games but like developers we should uh, well we'll see <laughs> we should at this point I mean I'm just saying we could probably do a pretty good job uh, maybe I don't know <laughs> um but really in order to overcome those problems we have to go back to those three and 
it's how those things make a boss engaging. So like, like you were just saying, it has to test your skills. Uh, you know, it has to test the mass, your mastery of the mechanics that you've learned up to this point. Or I think another really cool thing is it could recontextualize how a mechanic works. So like, for instance, in say like the last of us two, they have the, the rope mechanics where you like, well, I don't even know if you would really call that a mechanic, but like, uh, you know, you can toss a rope or whatever, and it's supposed to be used for platforming. But what if you can use that to like get away from a boss or even to help fight the boss? Like being able to recontextualize a, a mechanic in the game, I think is a cool thing that it could do. Uh, with narratives, you know, it has to culminate a story thread. You can, it has to be able to slot into the pacing of the story and ha- yeah. have it make sense or even not necessarily like, slot into the pacing of the story, but help help the pacing of the story. And one thing that I think Dylan brought up is when, you know, we're talking about mixing things up, he brought up, you know, multiple phases. Uh, and you can see that all over the, the final battles of Kingdom Hearts. I mean, really, that's a big thing in RPGs in general, uh, especially in, in the Souls games. You know, I feel like, I almost feel like the Souls games made it famous <laughs> even though the mechanic has been around for forever having multiple phases um but really i think what this comes down to is that special sauce of what makes a boss memorable and uh tani sulman wrote in just like you can if you go over to patreon.com slash culture and subscribe at the two dollar a month level or higher and he said, for me, a good boss stays with you, uh, like Metal Gear Solid 3's last boss fight or Cleopatra from Dante's Inferno. And I am really familiar with Metal Gear Solid 3's uh, final boss fight. Um, I was not familiar with Cleopatra, even though I've played Dante's Inferno. Um, so I had to go back and look that up. But it's actually the second, the second boss fight in the game. Um, second boss fight and she has babies calling out her tits. That's yeah, cool. it was fucking weird dude like <laughs> that boss fight is so weird oh it's uh, goddamn memorable yeah i i don't know why i could i was like who the fuck is cleopatra and then i went through and i was like watching the video and i was like oh yeah tit baby monsters i remember yep. now <laughs> uh but um i mean i'll pose this question to you uh what makes a boss memorable uh, uh, oh, sorry. Yep. I didn't say who. Uh, we'll go with Austin first. Thanks. What makes a boss memorable? Um, so the biggest thing for me is like, I want to feel fear. I want to feel genuine. I like, I want to be afraid when I fight it, when I fight a boss, like I want my hands to be fucking sweaty. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, don't want to fucking spoil it, but, but one of the bosses that I'll mention in just a minute is one of the first that I can remember that has ever genuinely made me feel like I could not make a single fucking mistake. Um, I, I, I literally sweating, sweating so hard. The DS was sliding out of my fucking hand. Oh yeah. Sweating. Um, but yeah, I, I think that for me, that's it. Like, like I want to, I want to be really challenged. Like 
you know, not to make Dylan all fucking horny again, but like I want to be pinned in. I want to be pinned in a fucking corner. I just want you to keep saying that to me. <laughs> this is like, like a I, world's I feel like I episode. Really, oh, yeah, oh, it really fucking is so far. Um, we still got more to go, so it's only going to get worse. Um, but like, I, I want a boss to make me feel like like I really have to fight my way out, and and make me all sweaty and tingly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I I think what you're saying is you want to have feel like a real sense of threat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So put in better terms than anything of what I just said. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Dylan, what about you? What's up, boo boo? Um, no, on the on the same kind of note, I want to feel a sense of accomplishment at mm-hmm. the end of it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to keep going back to it because it's fresh on my mind, but the Ursula fight in Kingdom Hearts is absolutely ridiculous, but it's also super rewarding because you undergo some heavy bullshit through a couple of different phases, and at the end of it, you come out as a stronger player realistically because you learned item management, you learned spell management, you learned party management from that fight. Like You are pushed like you haven't been pushed yet while you're playing kingdom hearts and so you get to ursula and it's like oh shit like this is different Mm -hmm. um and that's really what makes a boss memorable to me is the challenge that comes from it the one that i'll talk about in a moment that's not souls related was a challenge in a very unique way um but all of the souls bosses are memorable because they push you to learn all of their mechanics and even if you got to cheese your way through it, you're still learning how to do it in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I like a challenge. I like a memorable soundtrack to accompany that challenge. Mm-hmm. I want to be in the zone. I don't know. I just need immersion on top of challenge, on top of a brilliant soundtrack. And that's what makes a boss memorable to me. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, I know. I... <laughs> I agree with all that. I think one thing that we haven't really touched on very much, I think you really nailed it, is music. And I, I think that kind of ties in with mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I, I like about, or I like in boss fights, is having some sort of spectacle. Uh, like when you play the fight with Sephiroth in, at the end of Final Fantasy VII, uh, you mentioned the music, you know, One Winged Angel is, is fucking huge, but like it also ties in with like having the like a, a, an interesting set piece moment, like when he uh, summons uh, Comet, or I, I think it's Comet, I think that's what it's called, but like you know that something insane is happening, you know what I mean? Uh, but yeah. like it also ties into the narrative, like you're finally getting to fight this man who has like fucked you at every possible turn in in that game uh, or I mean tying into to my my pick or one of my picks that we've already kind of talked about you know Psycho Mantis the music in that entire sequence mixed with his exciting mechanics and how that all ties into the narrative is it creates this spectacle that I'm I am so glad that I got to experience those moments, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I we'll talk about you know some of our choices. I, I already talked about Psycho Manus, and and I think you, uh, you you really fucking nailed me earlier when you said that it was a good example of like uh, a change of pace because I 
I just really never fucking thought of it that way. Well, I do enjoy nailing you. Oh. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you so much. Uh, I'm, you caught me off guard, man. Dylan, I mean, fucking, I don't know who, somebody say something. <sighs> can we, can we, can we all throw out, oh, I'm sorry. Um, can we all throw out what our favorite uh, boss theme is from a video game? Uh, like, like Why the fuck you guys theme? dropping these questions that I got to think about, though? Like, well, this thing. I don't know if I could. Oh, that's so hard for someone like me. Um, you are you talking about musical theme? Yeah, like like your favorite score that plays during a boss theme. Fuck, oh, that's fucking that's hard. hard. I'm gonna say just because it's fresh on my mind, uh, "Vector to the Heavens" from uh, the final boss of Kingdom Hearts three five eight over two days. I think that score is fucking nut worthy, and I think it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Do I want to say that? Um, I'm fucking. Lo- I am at a loss. I I I hate to come back to it, but I I love the one winged angel in that final fight with Sephiroth. Yeah. I think that I think because it's so memorable, it would have to be up there for me too. It's so good. Yeah, so good. Um, man, I don't know, and just that. I know it sounds stupid, but when you face Red on top of Mount Silver. Mm, yeah, yeah, and that like, little musical right cue plays. Yeah, yeah, that would be the other one. That's good. It is That's good shit. Uh, I mean, we've been talking about Sephiroth kind of like on and off here for the last five minutes. Austin, you named him as one of your favorite bosses. Yeah, it's the it's the secret boss for Kingdom Hearts two. Um, fun fact: that is one of the probably the few bosses I faced in gaming that I've never actually beaten ever. Not oh. one time. I think that shit is extremely excruciatingly difficult. And even though I know it's fucking hard, and I know I'm going to die over and fucking over, I still attempt it every time I do a playthrough of Kingdom Hearts 2. Even though I know I'm not going to do it, I know I'm going to get too frustrated, but I still try it. And I think it's a fantastic little little, little secret encounter. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Uh, Dylan? What's up, boo You've been... <laughs> You've been talking about souls all night. Tell me about Soul Cinder. Yeah, I mean, I touched on it a lot earlier. I won't, I won't expand on it much more. It's just you really have to learn the fight. I think it's a culmination that ends perfectly from all the Souls games leading up into that one fight where you're essentially facing Gwen from the first Souls game. I mean, it's not identical, but it's there. You like his theme is there as well. That would be one of my other favorite themes, I guess I could say. Um. But it just feels like a fantastic fight that punishes you until you learn everything that's right. And once you finally manage to do it, it's unworldly. You feel great for it. You feel that sense of accomplishment. You got to do it to an amazing score and finished out a franchise that if you stuck with it, had the perfect conclusion, I feel like. I don't know. It was one of the most rewarding moments of my gaming life. Damn. <laughs> Just damn. Oh, yeah. That's high praise. Uh I wanna do I wanted to do a special little shout out to Atheon from Destiny. And I feel like um Atheon gets looked over a lot because the boss 
so here's the thing. I think I cannot separate my feelings about the overall quality of the Vault of Glass raid with that boss fight, but I feel like Atheon is the pinnacle of what Destiny could do with adding in different layers to what was going on. Like... So you have to go into these separate worlds and you have to stand on these separate little zones and then you have to fight off waves of enemies. And like it took it threw so many different like mechanics at you that you had already become kind of a, a, accustomed to. But like it did it in such an interesting way that when I played the Vault of Glass raid for the first time, I was like, oh, oh, holy shit. This is fucking awesome. And I, I just wanted to throw it out there because it is super memorable to me. Uh, it's a newer game on, on the list. I, lo- I love talking about old games, but like I, I really like that fucking fight a lot. No, it was great. I think it was one of the first times in Destiny where I was like, this is everything that they kind of promised it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt so good to work with everyone to get that accomplishment. Like I of course had world of Warcraft experience, so I knew what it felt like to complete a raid, but it was on another level, man. It felt like you had to be on your shit to do that boss fight. And once you finally got it, it was so rewarding. Very, very underrated boss fight. I think. Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Austin, tell me about your last pick. Yeah. Uh, my last pick is uh, Cynthia from Diamond and Pearl specifically. Um, the reason why I say Diamond and Pearl specifically is because she was dumbed down and significantly easier at Platinum. She's still hard for sure, but she's not as hard as she was in Diamond and Pearl. Um, and uh, to be blatantly fucking honest, everybody points at Red being like one of the hardest boss battle in the whole franchise. And I actually think Cynthia's worse. I think she's significantly harder. Um, by the time you come up to red in, in I, I don't remember as much about gold and silver, but I know for heart gold and soul silver, by the time you get to red, you have the chance to have a full fucking team of extremely powerful legendaries. If that's how you choose to play, you can make him very fucking easy, very fucking quick. Um, obviously most people, I don't, I don't really know anyone that plays that way. Um, but there are people who do, and you know, if that's the way you want to play, whatever you're wrong, but it's just not enjoyable. Um, but with Cynthia, you don't get that. You get like your box legendary that's like relatively good, and then you get like the three lake spirits that aren't actually good at all. Um, and that's about it. And she, I, I can't remember the levels off the top of my head, and I can't be bothered to look it up because my phone's at 2%. Um, and my keyboard's away from me, and I don't feel like grabbing it. <laughs> but uh, Cynthia's levels are significantly higher than the entire rest of the Elite Four that you face leading up to her. In Diamond Pearl and Plat, or in Diamond and Pearl, her AI is programmed very fucking well, and I just, I, I think it's easily the hardest, the hardest fucking, uh, not not just the hardest champion battle, but one of the hardest trainer battles in the entire franchise. That I just fucking know they're gonna dumb down in these remakes. I know that they are. I know she's gonna be ridiculously, stupidly easy in these remakes, and it's gonna make me so sad. <laughs> I want kids to feel... I get that these games are supposed to be for kids and they're trying to make them more kid-friendly than the originals were, but let this new generation of kids feel the pain that we felt. Let them feel that excruciating pain. All right, then. 
Yeah, let them be pinned against the wall. Okay. All right. <laughs> Dylan, tell me about hey. your last pick. Uh, Kiro from Ori and the Blind Forest. So this is the giant owl who's just the presence throughout the whole game, but it's a terrifying presence when it, when it happens on screen leading up into the very end of the game just because Kiro always comes out of nowhere. It's She's absolutely ominous, and she's gigantic compared to Ori. So you work your way to this ultimate battle with Kuro, and you're not actually throwing fists. You are running for your goddamn life. You're trying to beat the clock, essentially, and you're most likely not going to do this on your first try um, because you're having to move on a moving level, and Kiro's making it a lot harder on you because she's destroying the world as you're running through it. And this is all timed. Like, if you make one misstep, you're going to die. It's almost Souls-like in the way that once you die, you have to redo the whole thing over again. Um, but it's so memorable because it's unlike any other boss fight. And the soundtrack, while it's going on, makes it seem harrowing. Like, you have this mission to get out at any cost whatsoever. And it's just propelling you forward. You feel the urgency from the fight. And it just left an impression on me. Because at the whole time she was chasing you, you just feel almost helpless. Like you're trying to take that next step just to survive. And very few games have ever made me feel like that in that exact moment. Yeah, I feel you. I, I, Ori is full of good boss fights. Like Yes. I, I That game is really impeccably made. Like really impeccably made. See you, Poppy. Uh, but all right. Yeah, we kind of beat bosses to, to death. Um. Ooh. We beat the final boss. We beat the final boss. Uh, All right, that's it, boys. That, that's it, boys. Uh, We're let's, out. See you next week. <laughs> let's knock out you what won't. we've been playing real quick. Uh, Austin, super yeah. brief, Arkham Knight. Super brief. Yeah, the only reason I even wanted to talk about this is because I did think it was pretty cool that I noticed things in this playthrough that I didn't notice in the previous playthroughs of this game that I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I really think this game has its problems, but it is definitely up there for me as far as just superhero video games in general. I still do genuinely think it's a great game. Um, I did finish it again like last week. And a couple of the things that I noticed, which I I told a buddy about this and he was like, you didn't know that? And I was like, no, okay, thanks for making me feel like a dumbass. Um, after, After the sequence where you think that you watch Barbara Gordon shoot herself, and you do the whole thing with the uh, the movie studios with Harley Quinn and all that fucking bullshit happens. And you slam Robin in the fucking uh, in the cell to try to, I guess, you know, to try to protect him from Scarecrow. If you instead of leaving, if you turn around and go back, it will actually give you the option to tell Robin that Barbara is dead. And he has this like really, uh, in my opinion, very well voice acted like emotional breakdown. I thought that was super fucking awesome. Uh, another thing I didn't notice was um, the farther you get in the game, uh, the manifestation of Joker that Batman begins to see across the city, uh, he, like he's healing, like his skin is getting clearer. He's getting he looks more healthy as you get closer to the climax. And I've genuinely never fucking noticed that before. Um, and the final thing is at any point between when the Joker first shows up and the very climax of the story, all the billboards in the city have a percent chance to be randomly generated to 
actually have the Joker's face on them. So like there was one billboard when I noticed it and it was like a like a man and a woman about to kiss. Um, it was randomly generated with a Joker and it was just two Jokers about to kiss. Oh. And I, I didn't know that. And so I looked I it up. That. I looked it up and apparently every billboard in the city was programmed to have a random randomly generated chance of doing that. And I thought that was really fucking interesting. I didn't know. But that's it. Arkham Knight's a cool game. I finished it again. I'll probably play it again next year. I'll actually probably play it pretty soon because now I kind of want to see how it runs on a PS5. Oh, yeah. I forgot that's part of that uh, free collection also. It is. It is. I'm mad that I bought it two weeks ago. <laughs> that's okay. I bought the... on. I, I, I've never seen it on Xbox, but on PS4, they had a they had a they had like a whole trilogy collection that had all three with all the DLC. And I've never seen that before. And it was on sale for like 10 bucks two weeks ago on PSN, so I scooped it up real quick. Mm, gotcha. Uh, well, I have not been playing anything, just trying to chip away at, um, you know, Hybroxia. And I'm actually going to start a playthrough on uh, Resident Evil 7 because Resident Evil 8 is literally right around the corner. I think it's yeah. just a couple of days. Uh, it's Friday, right? I think so. Um, yeah, it's Friday. Yeah, so uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, I really can't wait. And um, yeah, or no, it's not Friday. It's the seventh. So it's oh wait, today is Wednesday. Yeah. So yeah, Friday. it is. It is Friday. I f- fucking for some reason I thought today was Friday, but <laughs> um, I wish. Yeah. So I, might pick uh, that up. I I I don't know. I, do I do I do I need to play other other Resident Evils to pick this one up? Uh, you probably don't need to, but it would be great context. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know if they were like sequential. Like, yeah, I, I was watching a, a a review earlier that said that um that if you've played Resident Evil Four, you'll get a lot more out of it because it feels like it's trying to harken back to Resident Evil Four. Okay. Um, but if you've if you've never played any of the other Resident Evils, I don't see why you wouldn't be able to just jump right in. I'm just in the mood for a good spooky game, so I might pick that up. Uh, but I think you got Bloodborne. I, you got Bloodborne, and I think that uh, Resident Evil Seven is part of that uh, thing that we've been talking about all all night. Uh, you the, know what? You're right. I think that it is. So you could jump into that as well. Yeah, I might. So, uh, but yay, you're breaking in the PS5. Yes. Um, uh, shout out to fucking Mr. Gilbert Kitchens in the Discord. Oh, uh, old Gilbeasy head. For, for hooking me up. I don't know why he sold it. I didn't ask. He just asked in the Discord if anybody wanted a PS5 for retail. And I said, yes, I do. And uh, I met up with him yesterday on my lunch break. Uh, kind of sucked because was not expecting mall traffic to hit at 1230 in the middle of the fucking day but sure enough it did i was late to work by like 15 minutes it doesn't matter i don't care what i do there anymore but um yeah i've been breaking it in i i I downloaded a a shit ton of stuff last night i think i made a list specifically to talk about on the podcast um let me see if i actually did that or not or if i just imagined that i did that Okay, so yeah, I did. I uh, I down along with what I actually got to play last night. Um, I downloaded Horizon Zero Dawn. I downloaded Ghost of Tsushima. Downloaded God of War, Gundam Battle Assault, Bloodborne, Mortal Kombat 10. Just because I'm I'm trying not to spend extra money right now if I don't have to. 
Uh, so I'm not. I'm probably going to pick up Mortal Kombat 11 next week because um, apparently it, it runs. Everyone says it runs phenomenally on the fucking five in the Series X, um, and then Persona Five Royal. But uh, I, I actually did get to break into Miles Morales and uh, uh, Astro's Playroom last night. Wow. Miles Morales is a night and day fucking difference going from the PS4 to the PS5. Um, it, it looks cleaner. The ray tracing really fucking makes the makes the environment of the city just fucking pop. Um, the haptic feedback in the controller when you're swinging through the city. I mean, it, it, it really made it feel like it, it made it feel like that webs were genuinely thrusting out of my controller. At least that's what it felt like to me personally. And I think that's so cool. I think that's the coolest shit in the world. Um, however, it does upset me that I know that probably other than first party Sony titles, not a lot of companies are going to make use out of that. And that, that is fairly upsetting. Um, thought Astro's Playroom is really cool. It's like you said a couple episodes ago, it's really just a tech demo, just a tech showcase for the PS5 and the controller itself. Um, I think it's an adorable, cute little platformer. However, I'm not, I wouldn't be bothered if they never did anything else with it. <laughs> like, I, like I saw a lot of people, like I, I saw a lot of fucking people last year say it was one of their favorite games last year. And I was like, did you only play three fucking things? Like, I don't understand. I, 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 then I thought, you know, well, I, I haven't gotten a chance to try it. Maybe it actually is that good. But now that I've tried it, I'm like, yeah, did you guys only play like three or four different things last year? Like, I'm not really sure how it made it that high. But I mean, for what it is, it's all right. It's cute. But I, I'm, am I going to finish it? Probably fucking not. Would I care if they made like a full franchise out of it? Probably fucking not. Um, and as far as the PS5 goes itself, uh, did not expect it to be that fucking big. I know everybody fucking says that and I should have expected it. But Jesus Christ did not expect that thing to be that fucking big. Um, I actually, because of where I had to put it, I had to lay it down like on its side. I really didn't want to do that because I think it looks cleaner standing up. Mm -hmm. Um, but I went ahead and laid it down because if I stood it up, it was going to be too wobbly on my fucking shelf. And I was like, eh, I'm a kid. I don't know which one, but one of them will end up knocking that bitch over and I'm just not having that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I laid it down on its side. I, but as far as the system itself goes, I really like the user interface of the PS5. I think it's very clean. I think it's very minimalistic. Um, to me, I don't know what the Series X is like because I have yet to pick one up and try it. But um, like the the Xbox One's user interface, like it, it felt very cluttered. Like it was just in your face with a bunch of different fucking things like ads for different streaming apps and shit like that. And the PS4 had the same problem. Um, it, it just felt very cluttered and sometimes very over overwhelming. And I like how clean and minimalistic the PS five is. I really appreciate that. And it's a lot simpler to figure shit out. I totally disagree with that. I fucking hate that. It's really? the PS four, uh, PS five interface. That's crazy. I, I, it's, uh, I feel like it's because of how sleek it is and how like minimalistic it is. That's why it's so hard to find everything with the Xbox. It's just tiles. I know where everything is. Yeah. I mean, but I like, see that, I guess. I don't know. Like I, like I can't, <clears throat> I like the bare minimum. I, I'm not even going to go into this kind of shit because I feel like it's not even like worth the argument over, but like, 
Why the fuck did you hide trophies? Why the fuck did you hide my power option to, you know, to cut off the PlayStation? Like the design choices in this just to like make everything clean. Fuck that dude. Make it functional. If it looks yeah. pretty, that's cool too. But make it to where I know where the fuck I'm going. Like, uh, I, 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 I hate the fucking PS5. The dashboard. To, to me, to me, it's, 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 you know, it, the functionality of it is fine. Cause I just, you just press the PlayStation button, you get a little toolbar at the bottom, just turn the bitch off. And I I, I, I don't know. I, I guess that's I guess that comes down to just personal taste at the end of the day. No, oh, yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, I just I don't know. I like how clean and I, I like the bare minimum in things. That's that's just the kind of person that I am. And uh I like it. I like how clean it is. Very simple. I appreciate it. It's not in your face with like a mill. That's the thing I hated about the PS5 or PS4, like going to my, um, like when you're going to like your streaming apps and shit, and it's just ad after ad after ad after ad, mostly for shows I've already fucking watched. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, that's, that's frustrating. Like I, I, you, like you can clearly see I have these apps downloaded and I use them and I'm logged into them. You don't have to give me fucking advertisements for them. So I don't know. I don't like that, but. I, I don't know if the PS5 does that. I haven't seen it do that, and I'm appreciating it so far. Maybe it just hasn't fucking... Maybe the spyware in it just hasn't picked up on what my life is like yet. <laughs> maybe yeah. it will soon. Maybe not. Um, Dylan. Hey. Tell me about anime game. It's weird. Austin doesn't have an anime game, but you do. Yeah. I don't consider it an anime game. That's um, what it is. <laughs> I feel like it's more Disney and Final Fantasy, but what do I know? They were um, supposed to be making an anime for Kingdom Hearts. I wonder what happened to that. I don't know. Hmm. But what I do know is that really enjoying my time with this still, I'm just dabbling where I can because I am playing World of Warcraft on top of it. But oh, no. there, are, there are a couple of things that are a little dated like the movement mechanics and stuff like that but i mean it's still fun to play mm-hmm. i enjoy the challenge of it still like i did ursula today like i was talking about earlier and i'm on to halloween town now um so it's just it's a work in progress but i'm having a lot of fun revisiting it and i'm going to go in order this time with the games so essentially how they're supposed to be played i'm going to follow through with that and just make my way to three and then take my time with three and give it the shot that it deserves. It'll be a while before it gets there, but yeah. um, it's it's the road to Kingdom Hearts this year for me to just finish all the games and then uh, kind of dabble with WoW at the same time. I was actually playing through the podcast. That's the first time I've ever played a game through the podcast, but it's like second nature to me. Um, it, I can just autopilot it. But outside of that, like I said, started up Horizon Zero Dawn as well. Ooh. And... Um, really enjoying how it looks on the pc it runs so fucking buttery smooth i love every aspect of it and i can't wait to go a little further with it and who knows what else is coming around the corner um but i did get sabrina a game today just as a surprise gift that austin's about to talk about and it looks really fucking good and i'm excited to hear what you have to say about it austin you're not yeah. going to be very excited to hear what I have to say. I mean, I j- it looks <laughs> you know. good, but I don't know how it plays. Yeah. Well, I guess I can just jump right into that unless Josh has anything no. he wants to throw. I, I literally don't have anything else to talk about. 
Okay. Well, um, yeah, new Pokemon Snap. Um, Madison has actually put more playtime into it than I have. I think Madison's like 15 hours deep. I'm like a solid two and a half or three. Um, I think presentation-wise, I think the the environments are fucking gorgeous. Um, the actual models of the Pokemon themselves look really fucking good. Um, they're very uniquely animated. Like, uh, the first night track that you get to go to, like... Uh, when it opens up and you're pulling through, like the first thing, one of the first Pokemon you see is Score Bunny, and he's just kind of running around doing his thing, and then eventually he starts like speed running. You got the fire going everywhere, and like I think shit like that is really cool. Um, and then when you get to the end of the track, there's like a horde of uh, Torteras and like a flower patch, and uh, the the same Score Bunny actually is like running through the track, and he kind of hops up on the Torterra and he just kind of lays down and goes to sleep on its back and it's a cute little moment. I got some really good photos out of that. Uh, professor didn't think they were very good cause he didn't give me a four star cause he's a bitch, but I thought they were a good fucking photo. Um, other than that, it suffers from the same problem that the original Pokemon snap had. And that is just because it's repetitive as fucking hell. And I know that's kind of a dumb argument because of what Pokemon Snap is. You're literally just taking pictures of Pokemon and doing nothing else. But when the game makes you replay the same track two or three times just to level it up, just to get an, enough of a score to unlock the next track, like that's kind of frustrating for me. I don't want to do the same thing two or three times before I get to do something new or before I get to see something new. Um, other than that, I think my only real problem with the game is... During normal gameplay is fine, but during cutscenes in particular, I think the audio mixing is fucking atrocious. Um, the first cutscene that you get, uh, your character walks into the uh, the the research lab. His footsteps are so fucking loud, you cannot hear anything else that's going on in that cutscene. You can't hear the machines behind you. You can't hear the professor talking. You genuinely cannot hear a goddamn thing. And, and, and it kind of seems to keep that through every cutscene that I've seen so far. And I'm like, God, I kind of hope you guys patch this eventually. But it's Bandai Namco, and they're not going to do that. Because why would they ever patch a game? Um, but uh, it it's fine. It's not for me. As, as big of a Pokemon fan as I am, it's not for me. Did you, did you play the original on the 64? Uh, I played it on the Wii U. Okay. Cause I, I feel like that everything that you just said was like my same exact memories of the one on 64. Yeah, and it's the I, same. They didn't, and that's why I didn't understand why anybody was like super excited about the ship. But I mean, I mean, there are people that genuinely enjoyed it and that enjoyed the original. And if you, I'm, I mean, if that's your cup of tea, that's your cup of tea. I'm not going to. Oh yeah, for sure. There, yeah. I'm not it, fucking going to shit on you for liking something, but I, I just, I, I don't know, man. It's just, that seems out of character of you. I was about to say that. Does it? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, we should have the Hunting Pixels website, and we should have places that we can go and write reviews on games that we've played. Well, uh, yeah, I think that's a great idea. All right, thanks. I just came up with it, you know, off the top. Cool. That'll be coming uh, sooner or later. Okay. Cool. Yeah, good deal. <laughs> Pokemon Snap. It's uh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, Fable is being developed using the Forza engine. That's 
weird uh, what <laughs> it is really weird but ign wrote an article about it now i'm concerned <laughs> he said now I, i'm concerned for the final product of that game i don't know if i'm concerned that's just weird to me it is weird that's why i'm concerned that's i was like hey make a make a fable engine please <laughs> I mean, I think I understand it. You know, it's supposed to be open world and whatnot, but... Uh, My fucking character is going to have a Hot Wheels logo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's get to our picks of the week and get out of here. Uh, Sounds good. So my pick of the week is Nerd Nerdstalgic's uh, video on Children of Men's camera work. It's called The Greatest One-Shot in Movie History. Uh, and it's really kind of a fairly in-depth look at how Alfonso Cuaron uh, made the various shots, like the various oneers in um, Children of Men and kind of like why they work as well as they do. It's really, if you're, if you don't really know anything about like camera work and shot composition and shit like that, this is really a kind of good primer into like how camera movements work and uh it shows you a little bit about cinematography so like you can maybe have like a better idea of what things are like how camera moves will make you feel about certain things um it's really good uh video and i i definitely recommend it oh yeah austin what's your pick yeah uh my pick of the week is uh Fuck, Rona. Just kidding. Vaccinated. Um, Oh, my God. (laughs) No, it's just allergies. Uh, My pick of the week is a song titled Still Wondering Why You Left Me by a band called This Wildlife. Uh, No, it is not a breakup song. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail because the song is extremely personal. Uh, Mm. The reason why I love it so much is, is extremely fucking personal because it's been able to express a feeling that I haven't been able to understand and put into words for the last six years of my life. And it was the first time I'd ever heard somebody say it. And I'm like, that's it. Like, that's exactly how I've been feeling all these fucking years. That's it. And, uh, I, I genuinely truly think that that, that is a wonderful song by a wonderful fucking band. Uh, this wildlife for anyone who doesn't know who they are, they're like an acoustic, uh, folk rock band. And, uh, I, I've seen them numerous times and I love them. And that song really hit me on a personal level. So it's very good. Go check that out. Awesome. Dylan, bring us home. Uh, I've been watching Forged in Fire. It's pretty cool. They make knives. It's a competition show. Watch it. They do good shit. Oh, is that the the History Channel show? Yeah. Yeah, we started watching that not too long ago. It's pretty fucking interesting. It is very, because they make some bomb-ass shit on there in a very limited amount of time. Yeah. They got some... Fuck, dude. Yeah. Yeah, they make some wild-looking shit. I I don't know how the fuck those motherfuckers do in in the limited amount of time that they have. Like, Yeah, dude. It's like, it's. I don't really watch competition shows, but I've watched this one for a while now since season one, and I just now got Sabrina watching it, and we're having a blast just going through it and seeing all the shit they make, and it's like, especially fun as a gamer because you can sit there and be like, holy shit, that's from Assassin's Creed. Like, we were watching one the other night where they made, I think it was a Chiquidea, 
and it was from Assassin's Creed 2 and it came on the screen and I was looking at it and I was like yeah I remember using that in uh, Assassin's Creed 2 with Ezio Sabrina looked at me and she was like what and then he almost (laughs) said the exact same and it's like hey been made popular on the game Assassin's Creed and she was like you're a fucking nerd (laughs) (laughs) nailed it yeah it's awesome well it was so good awesome it is awesome awesome uh as always, you can find us on social media for all things Culture Pop, Hunting Pixels, and the Culture Pop family of content. You can find Culture Pop on Twitter at Culture underscore Bop, on Instagram at Culture underscore Bop, and on Facebook. Uh, it's the at the Culture Bop. Oh, also, guess what, guys? There's a YouTube channel, and there are YouTube videos coming quite soon. Just go over to YouTube, search up Culture Bop. You should be able to find it. Uh, hunting pixels is available on Twitter at pixels hunting and on Instagram at hunting underscore pixels CB. You can find me on Twitter at the bebop man one eight two on Instagram at bebop man one eight two, and hopefully sometime again soon on Twitch at the underscore bebop man. <laughs> uh, Dylan doesn't want you to check him out on anything, but you can find him on Twitter at omdizzy on Instagram at omdizzy TV. Wait, no. No, that's not right. At OMDizzy. Uh, and on Twitch, at OMDizzy. Uh, yeah, I'd rather you not follow me, though. Yeah, don't follow him on anything. I mean, that's not the... I'm saying this to get attention. I'm like, nah. I mean, you're just wasting your time at this point. <laughs> uh, Austin, you can find on Twitter at Big Papa Plays, on Instagram at Big Papa Stevens underscore, or at Big Papa Plays, on Twitch at Big Papa Plays, and on TikTok at Big Papa Papa, please. And finally, if you're looking to support the podcast or any of the endeavors that we're undertaking at Culture Pop, then go to patreon.com slash culture pop and toss us a pledge. Uh, we're offering some very cool perks, including uh, this is actually the first episode that this will happen. Uh, but if you are a member of the uh, of the Patreon at the $5 and up level, you get access or you get early access to uh, all of our videos and podcasts. So Friday, when the show would normally be going up, uh, our patri- uh, our patrons will uh, get this episode and then it will go live on Monday for everyone else. So, um, that is just one of the cool or many cool perks that we have over there. So go check it out. Uh, toss us a couple of bucks if you care to, and, uh, it would really mean a lot. Um, but that's it. That's the end of our show. We did it. Um, I don't have anything else to say. Bye. <laughs> Bye everybody.